So, using dice for surprise, but one could use cards as well for surprise. Yes. I believe that the concept behind Exuvi? I pronounce it Exuvia. I don't know if that's the official Relics thing. Relics of House Dragonfly. Yes, I did that thing where I attempted to raise some money for a game that no one can pronounce. But it is a scientific term. At least if you helps. Google it, that's the only thing you find. Yes. And that's capital. Yes. I got a very good friend who just released his first game and it's two words together which matches a lot of other things and I, I feel a bit the pain when it comes to promoting it. Yes, and yeah. Getting I, I remember a Belgian band, a, a pop rock band called Elk. Ah, it oh was gosh. terrible to Google. <laughs> terrible. They changed their name because you would like, oh, I love this band. Elk band. You would find a lot of things, a lot of art showing elk with a guitar, <laughs> the elk, but you would never find but you never actually the band, find them. and yeah. they ended up probably being told, tapped on the shoulder but, uh, by a, a Marvel person telling them, actually, <laughs> you cannot use that <laughs> word. It reminds me, like, the first time I ever actually came across the word Hulk was in uh, The Rime of the Ancient Mariner, where in part three there's a part where the naked Hulk alongside came, where it's this big ghost ship that just drifts past. So Marvel can't have it because Samuel Coleridge took it first. <laughs> but yeah, so Exuvia uses cards rather than dice. And it is, essentially, it's a procedurally generated horror noir story. Quickest description of it is if you imagine if, like, David Cronenberg had directed The Maltese Falcon. Oh, nice. And it's... <laughs> I want to see that now. <laughs> I know, it'd be amazing. I recently watched a video that was John Landis, who did American Werewolf in London, John Carpenter, who did The Thing... David Cronenberg, who did many, many bits of body horror. The Fly. Yeah, but it was just before Videodrome was about to come out. It was just before The Thing was about to Oh, wow, so it's an old interview. It was a very old interview. It was amazing. And actually, talking of Cronenberg, his son, Brandon Cronenberg, is releasing some really good films at the moment as well. I really? saw Possessor a few months ago, and it is a perfect mashup between strange science fiction and also existential body horror it's very upsetting in a way that i really like i'm growing increasingly wary of aristocracies of mm. people in the entertainment industry yeah we just had falcon and winter soldier and we got the quaid son and then yeah. i realized that drew barrymore was the daughter of john barrymore and so on and i'm like wait a minute can we pass this around sometimes they're not self-made people but at the same time some of them are still very talented like duncan jones and, and so on so yes yeah definitely i think there's some interesting things about i don't feel quite so upset about it as a habit if it's within a field that was always quite experimental mm -hmm. so like the sheer level of wet puppetry that you get in cronenberg for instance and that's something that his son is taking in a different way, but in cool. the same sort of thing. But yeah, so years ago, I started writing a novel, as many people do. It's technically finished, but it's all handwritten, and so I need to finish typing it up. <laughs> the temptation to amend things when you type them is well, yes, very Yes, and high. actually, that was the reason why I did it, was that when I'm typing it up, it then does genuinely become a proper second draft, rather than just... Like, there's a reason why I'm doing it myself rather than sending it off to a copywriter or something. And not just that your manuscript is unreadable to human beings. That also is true. My handwriting is very, very bad. 
which is probably why I've been a teacher, <laughs> or at least come from it, from having to write so it's quickly. It's great because I'm working on stuff and I'm doing versions on Google Doc, but then you don't have the old version. So one day when your novel would be a big success mm. and people would be discussing how the sequels really took it away from its original premise. Yes. People will still be able, hey, have you seen, they're making a comics based on the original manuscript yeah. rather than the final Rather than what draft. it turned into, yeah. I've seen that with William Gibson, who basically kick-started the whole cyberpunk genre when he wrote Neuromancer, was commissioned to write a script for Alien 3 that was then never used. And since, like within the last several years, that has now been taken up, turned into a novelization and an audiobook. It's been made into a comic. They did that with Star Wars, even. Mm. There's a comics with the first designs, uh, literally oh, what wow. was probably, well, not in the bin because it was still beautiful drawing, but yeah. the first concept by Ralph McQuarrie, which was gorgeous, but I'm pretty sure for him it was, that's a draft. <laughs> You're not supposed yes, to yep. use that. <laughs> this achieves its purpose and is never intended to be as art, but yeah. So I already had this world, and the concept behind it is that it's cosmic horror in the sense that humanity is functionally worthless, and we think we're in control, but that's a a comforting illusion that we give ourselves. It's nice, it's fiction, it's not real at all. Exactly. I'm sure it's definitely not a way to work through various stresses and traumas at all, but that never happens with writers. So I had this, this world where essentially the idea being that everything is essentially controlled by this cult of insects. And it, not that it's people who worship insects, but the literal actual insects themselves. And so even like the earwigs that you find in your sand pit are more intelligent than you are. And they're just letting you be for inscrutable purposes in the same way that a lot of cosmic horror doesn't. It's like, well, you can't fathom the mind of an alien, so we're not going to try. It's the roadside picnic thing is just yeah. you're just in- insignificant, so they don't bother with you. They yeah. don't even register you. It's like, you're here, whatever, doesn't matter. So the novel itself is set in the modern day. Its current working title, which may remain when eventually I'd finish it, well, get it to a point where I can send it to people, its working title was The Butterfly House, and it was focused around a subsect of the cult who were all basically butterfly people, for want of a better word. And then there was a games design contest called Game Chef, where you were given nine days to produce the first draft of the game. And you were given a theme four ingredients that you had to use in some way and you only got told them as the whole thing started and so one of the terms on that was the word dragonfly and i was like well okay i already have a like a world that involves insects somehow and i've already focused on one subset here so what if i take this different subset and and pretend i came up with it within nine days (laughs) yeah to be fair that's how i produce a lot of ideas is that i will focus in on a part saying this is a detail of a larger whole i'll fill it in when we need to get there i'm also i'm quite a fan of like patience with cards like various solitaire games i've got three or four vintage books on how to play different systems and it's believed that you're really innovative if you just steal from places that no one has seen (laughs) so there's a solitaire variant called osmosis where you have a number of piles at the beginning that aren't in the main set of cards you're kind of dealing through And it had quite an innovative way of actually collecting up the cards where you have, at the beginning, you can put any heart that you come across, you can put it into the final place. And then next, if you've already got one of the cards above, so if you've already got the three of hearts, you can then put down the three of spades. But if you draw the six of spades, but you don't have the six of hearts, you can't play that. And so it was a game that I was playing in my spare time. And then I realized that I could steal the structure of that and apply it to another story. So Exuvia essentially 
it's almost like slipstream between role-playing games and board games where it's an instruction manual if you understand it you don't need to prepare and you can improvise a story from it the way that the cards interact with the decisions that the players have made essentially are going to be producing the story ahead of you a little bit like Gromit on the railway track when he's putting the things down quickly so eventually that got to a nice point I was then playing it with a few different people and some people who I trusted and they're like you could make some money with this and so I then polished it up I found an artist on Reddit, mostly because Reddit is a strange place that is constantly like, I've got money I want to spend on Thing X. And you turn up and say, hello, you can buy Thing X over here. And they're like, no, go away. Don't promote things. Yeah. You've, you've <laughs> just asked to buy a thing and I've told you where it is. <laughs> I want to be more active promoting oh. myself on Reddit, but Reddit hates people promoting it's, themselves. It doesn't make sense. But, like, it would make sense if everyone didn't want to spend any money ever. But consistently, they're like, I've got £100 I want to spend on a thing. Where should I, I, I spend it? I want a third it? party to recommend what you have to yeah, sell. Yeah, it's... Which, I get it. I understand the sense behind it. But, yeah. <laughs> but also, for a, for a website that is understood more widely solely whenever it does, like, ask me anything questions. <laughs> so for the whole, almost like the platform that exists, because you can talk to the creators, and then when the creators talk to you, they're like, no! <laughs> don't do that! <laughs> You're ruining my illusion! <laughs> exactly. Go away! I don't want to know how the trick works. <laughs> Why don't you pretend to be somebody else? That's that's probably how it is. But yeah, so eventually, because someone had they posted a a picture. So this guy called um, Jacopo Morazzi, and he he posted a picture of H.P. Lovecraft looking at his hand, which had started to mutate, almost in a style of like Quentin Blake. And I really liked it. And essentially, I'm of the opinion that if you are self-promoting on Reddit, I want to help you doing that. And so I found quite a few different artists I worked with for covers or for extra art by using that as a system. And so got him to produce some art, took it to Kickstarter, uh, managed to... I think we funded in about four days, which was nice considering it's a, a hyper-niche genre. <laughs> like, horror gaming is fairly large at the moment, but even that's a tiny thing within role-playing games, and almost all of that is Call of Cthulhu or Unknown Armies. So I was happy that enough people were like, oh, this looks interesting, this looks good. And yeah, I think we managed to raise like about 250% of what was needed. A lot of goals and art, a lot of printed cards, a special box, a, a leather satchel for French listeners who love Call of Tulu and leather satchels. Yes. If you meet a French fan of Call of Tulu, <laughs> ask them about leather satchels. And Kickstarter, they would have a lot of stories to tell. Amazing. You. I should keep an eye. Actually, I did buy, um, I backed it on Ulele. Spoiler alert, the story would devolve on a comparison between <laughs> actual cow leather and oh, wow. fake leather. <laughs> 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 and the bankruptcy of a company. <laughs> yes, I remember seeing the fallout from that eventually. Oh. Um, but I, I refused to make cards because as we've already established, I'm a magician, and so I care about the physical quality of cards. And now, it might be possible to produce, like, short runs of things that are, like, less than 10,000 decks, where it would actually be sufficiently good quality cards, but otherwise, I was just looking at it, and all of the options were I either spend far too much money, but also the whole idea being, you can use any pack of cards for this. And although it might be nice to produce a like special version of it at some point i did however my favorite stretch goal was because it was 1940s like horror noir film 
I had some cocktails commissioned from a cocktails. Variety, yes, from a variety of people. So one of my favourites in it is a cocktail called uh, Sleepless Nights, that was uh, written by Ruth Ball, who basically was a like a spirits historian. I've written a couple of books about cocktails and spirits and the like. So I commissioned her, and she wrote a rum and coffee liqueur cocktail, which is utterly beautiful and will very very much wake you up at any given point so that was my only active stretch goal because i thought beyond that there was potential offer for if we'd have got a lot more i was like okay i'm also going to be doing this and we'll put some funds towards like making a short film but we never got there but i'm very very wary of the whole add more content that's the danger one who engages in a yeah. Kickstarter camping should really be aware of. Because uh. I'm... I mean, if you look at a lot of the games that I produce, they are as short as they can be. In some cases, too much shorter than they can be, and they need to be a little bit longer. But there's definitely a sense of what I don't need it to be bigger than it should be. And so just this... All of this... We'll add all of these extra stuff. We'll add all of these extra things. Can work in some fields. So like I mentioned, like within board games it's sometimes nice to have additional pieces but if i signed up because i wanted one particular product and you're now like it's not that nice focused clear product we promised we're now adding all of these extra things it just doesn't feel and, and even if you did not pledge for those bits you still have to wait for them to be ready to yes. get them in your mailbox yeah and that's often what i'd seen and what i'd feared so it was it was kind of kept in focus and although i had i'd budgeted how to cope with extra cash in terms of extra producing of things and like budgeted for the additional art i forgot that buying more art from one artist then suddenly adds a load of extra time on it so eventually like i think almost like it was a year late submitting all the, the books to people but but it did at least get out there and like many people's first kickstarters i've learned a lot and i'll probably use a publisher next time because i can't be bothered to do it myself yeah i try to learn from other people's experience that, that i interview yeah I'm, okay taking note <laughs> delegate to someone who knows what they're doing yes yeah very much so
So your game, it's available on Itch.io digitally. Is it also available physically somewhere? I think it's entirely sold out now. The last physical copies that I know that did exist were with Leisure Games, but I think I think they have since run out. So at some point I may get like an additional printing or... You might make a Kickstarter for that just... I could just... I hate the word yeah. just... <laughs> a reprint. <laughs> yeah, quite possibly. Or I may even... Um, now that I know more and care... Like, I've always cared a lot about paper. Or get a publisher. <laughs> yes, that, this is the other thing. So, it's still played as far as I can tell. I think there's capacity for it to kind of be reprinted. And it's it's also the other problem is that because it is a, a story that produces its own games for you, I can't then go around and sell a, an add-on. Because the whole idea is you don't need anything else apart from the rules you've already read. So in a way, I've shot myself in the foot there because I can't keep monetizing that same IP. Ah, yeah, I was thinking to say about my own game, Paris Gondo, the life-saving magic mm. of inventoring, and the concept was, well, you got those six basic classes, and you can reskin them yourself, however yep. you want, and that's the idea, really. And with interaction with people, I got feedback like, oh, you, you should do a special for May 4th, special space <laughs> wizards, or this and that, and yeah, I guess at the, at the end, you, you can always... <laughs> make up for for people appetite yes, for more yeah. stuff I think that's that's the other thing is that I've got to I often have to remind myself that I am not selling to myself and although I'm designing for myself and I'm very much designing the things that I want to play and run my own purchasing patterns aren't the same as the vast majority of people otherwise there would be even less of an industry yeah <laughs> and so and so it's very much that sometimes it makes sense to think what it is people that spend lots of money want and give them that and find the spaces for that and for some reason people really love splat books and as much as i love all of the additional like art and lore and concepts that can come with them there is a reluctance on my part to do supplements that aren't essentially standalone like here is a module that you can use within or a, or a story yeah, house of dragon of flight in space or yes I haven't considered the uh, the extra planar aspects yet, but I might as well like take as many things. And go, oh, what, what about this? The medieval ages, the invasion, yes. like when they they moved <laughs> in and, uh, and so on. Basically, yeah, I just need to get picked up by a like a big horror film production house, and then suddenly use all of their investment money to come up with all manner of nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was interviewing recently Michael Whelan about mm. is also play card based. The house doesn't always win. Mm. I've heard of another one in which you, you destroy the cards. Actually, there are several in which you it's a legacy thing. And there's also games using Jenga and so mm. on. And you were talking about your game being in between board games and story games and role-playing mm. games. And that's how so I describe my own game, Paris Gondo, the life-saving magic of inventoring. Mm. That's a space which is starting to get... Uh, I'm not sure if crowded is the right word, but really yeah. populated. And I find yeah. that very fascinating actually i think it's in general a lot of like nerd culture essentially is on the rise within the last however many years like you've got the writers of game of thrones are in a role-playing game with joe manganelio for instance jeff goblin we were talking yes. about the flies going to play dungeon and dragon it's a pity it's always dungeon and dragons true but yeah like show me monster heart featuring Jeff Goblin. I think Jeff Goblin will make everything Monster Hearts without without intending to. Yeah, but that's my point. That's the point of <laughs> Neo Dragon. Right no, see, don't play despite of the rules. 
probably windows. Yes, no, exactly. And yeah, I think there's because like the overall awareness is quite high, and then there's a lot of um, a lot of trends and counter trends, and because there's lots of things where you've got various different types of very beautiful board games that are being like accessed by a lot more people. There's people I think are more willing to try the sorts of things they haven't done before. I've often seen the analogy of being that like if you want to join a baseball team you don't immediately say cool I'm going to sign up and spend the next X years doing this same thing you might <laughs> you might go and play catch with someone in the park this is an American blog I read I've, I've never played baseball but in the same way you don't want to have to sit down and say do you want to play this game with us it's going to take the next three years of your life you're going to give us every single Monday from then until now that's a huge ask and so saying hey do you want to play this it'll take us about three hours and you don't need any previous history I think is despite the fact that it's almost becoming quite a crowded space it's helping access places that are different oh yeah definitely I don't think it's crowded in the sense not in the sense of overcrowded no. I, think, I think it's the opposite it's it's getting crowded but it's a sort of thing which creates more appeal it broadens the field yeah my criticism of d and I always I keep repeating myself about that it's not about the game itself but sort of this aspect of the trees which hide the forest yeah uh, yeah it gives this impression oh you're doing a D&D no actually I'm playing Star Wars D6 so if you hate Tolkien you don't have to like Tolkien you can if you like Star Wars you can play that yeah. or if yeah. you like Murder She Wrote you could play Bring the Wood Bay or yes. if you like The Young and the Restless and all the soap opera you could be playing Passion de la Passiones and I mean, mm. I, mean I was seeing a tweet by Jason Cordoba the author mm. of Bring the Wood Bay explaining how I think he's thinking of his aunt when he was designing the game and oh, he heard amazing. of players playing the game with elderly women relatives. Wow. And I find it great because why not? Why should it always be about killing dragons? I mean, yeah. ki- killing dragons is fine, but tabletop role-playing games like novels can be about anything. So yeah. if you're into, I don't know, Fifty Shades of Grey, you could have Fifty Shades of Grey the role-playing game. The closest that is Curse of Hearts by Oliver Darkshire which was banned from the DMs Guild for being too lewd, so it was made more lewd and sold sold separately. But it's, <laughs> it's quite good, actually. So, yeah, games based on the other stuff, like Jenga, cards. Mm. It started with dice and war games. Yeah. And started, even that I don't like this idea that much, because there was Epistolarian role-playing, mm. the, the Bronte sister made their city... I always forget the name of those two women who published Fighting Fantasy mm. before Fighting Fantasy, the same concept, and there were probably others before them which yeah. we lost trace of. Yeah, it's it's like, what other board games could turn out to be roping and could Settlers of Catan be twisted? <laughs> like you were playing Osmosis, oh, I could make a roping game out of that. What other board game, any board games you could turn yeah. into a roping game could be quite exciting. It reminds me of, of a post I recently saw from it's an Instagram account I follow called RPG Calligraphy. And it's a chap who basically practicing his calligraphy work by writing beautiful sentences about role-playing games. And he did one recently which is saying that like any game can be a role-playing game if you pretend that it is. And I like that as a way of look to dip like my... So despite having been a teacher, I'm always reluctant to give like unsolicited advice, probably because I've been a teacher. But my one tip for most designers is don't just look at games. Like, look at 
look at cookbooks. Cookbooks have got some of the best technical writing that you can see because they're designed for everybody to be able to understand and read them. That's a good moment to plug Gusto, mm. which does not sponsor the show, but I will put in the description a code you can use hey. to get me free Gusto meals and 50% off your first old purchase and 30% for the next month or so. But yeah, it would be funny, a roping game. I guess it's a one-page RPG mm. in the Gusto format. You got a single page yeah. and it's got everything in the box, all the items you need to play. And you play it, and then you can play it again if you want. Exactly, yeah. There's quite a few big examples of, like, Lady Blackbird is the big famous one of it. It's a, it's a small booklet. It's designed for a very specific play experience, and it does that really very well. And it does that effectively because it's not just attempting to take another version on this same, like, the same food that everyone's looking at all at the same time. And it's genuinely, like, find things you're excited about to be able to use that to influence what you're creating. Until the day I rest in peace, I sleep awake and drink and eat and write and speak these recipes to peace. that you are quite active with both London in the RPG mm -hmm. and TIN as well the yes, uh, tabletop yeah. industry network yes gosh how I can't remember I think I missed the first like three or four of um, the London TIN groups so, like the tabletop industry network I keep wanting to attend uh, it's online at the moment so I really have no excuse and, and yeah missing out uh. often it's the time in which it is because it's a repeatable like it's the last Friday of every month we'll meet up from that and because it's consistently repeatable sometimes i forget what day that falls on but yeah no it, it's quite nice as an environment because the people who spend their time and energy like attending that group particularly are interested in seeing lots of different things there is a heavy skew towards role-playing games although there are people who have come along who are designers of board games or card games no i think bez uh, gave a lecture there. yes yeah no, she, 
the starting off points for which different people will build things across are quite nice. And so like the last two lectures were talks, I suppose, that we had. One was Janet from World Anvil, which is about establishing a community and how that's a really effective thing. Before that, we had David Blandy, who did The World After, who was very much talking about the artistic process of creating things and how like art intersects with audience and how you can use that to underpin what you're interested in with your creations. And I definitely think pretty much any creative field, finding a group of peers who like you're interested in and, and you respect their processes, you respect their work, and then also you've got a group of people who can be excited for you about the things you're doing rather than just having to plug away on your own because it's it's quite strange like the vast majority of like especially like indie role-playing games are designed by one or two people maybe read by one or two other people in separate situations but it's all quite distinct and separate despite the fact that you're producing things that are intended to help people tell stories and get together in groups it's a weirdly lonely profession in that sense and so it's really nice to find open-minded groups of people who essentially almost like tend to be designing without dogma i think is the easiest thing where people would prefer to be surprised be like oh i've never seen it done like that that's how tell me more rather than oh no that's not how you do it and i don't i don't know if that's just the luck through how this group has come about or if it's a wider thing because based on how london is in terms of its like public play culture like the sorts of venues in which public play takes part and therefore the people who are going to impact things like No More Damsels for instance and even just the physical environments of a lot of the board game cafes and how they will be used for coming and sitting in to play other games as well and I certainly feel that that lends a really positive emotional perspective and a sort of curiosity that you get from like the traditional metropolitan ex existence that Dickens was talking about where it is specifically about this big mash of culture and people being like I don't know that, what can I learn from that? Which is really exciting. It's interesting because you, the curiosity you describe for the industry with Tabletop Industry Network mm. it's kind of a, a mirror to the curiosity which I've seen at London Indie RPG but from the players, from the consumer yeah. side of things. Although often the same people end up in both groups. <laughs> Definitely, there's a lot of cross-pollination. But one thing I really like about the London RPG community is, although there is a strong backbone specifically of, like, 5th edition Dungeons Dragons play, the construction of that is what actually built a lot of the infrastructure in terms of how the organization works. But so many of the people there, like, consistently there are um, various, I it, like, the, the system check seasons. So we're currently in a cyberpunk season where we're just trying lots of different cyberpunk games. So, <laughs> I already told them their, their names were a bit similar because we got London Indie RPG. Yep. And we got the London RPG community. Yep, yep, there's that as well. Which, which is more 5e, but they do have something called system yeah. check as well. So, Here, you're talking about which one of the two? So that was the London RPG community. Um, or RPG Community London? <laughs> I don't know. All of the above. All of the above. Um, you'll find someone in a room. Or are you talking about the community of people playing all playing games <laughs> within London? It's, a, it's becoming like Life of Brian or the, 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 the People Liberation Front of, of Judea. <laughs> I thought we were the popular people. Sorry, folks, I love you. 
But, I mean, yeah. Phoenix Games Club, Roleplay Evan, that's, that's a distinguishable yes. brand. Actually, one of the things that I like about the London Indie RPG crew, I can't remember what, like, if they've got a specific group-based appellation, is when Dragon Meat exists as a thing that can be done, typically, like, Josh Fox and uh, Eunice will organise the indie games on the hour where you rock up and you can sign up every hour for a two-hour game that will take place and it's played out with whatever. And there is definitely a very visible stand that is being made for showing it's like, here are things that are explicitly independent and you should come and look at them in the same way that you get that with music. Ten years ago, there was a, an enormous like blast of like indie music, which essentially was like much more in terms of tone and then it became not quite as punk as its name suggested in the first place. But there's definitely people are interested in seeing things that are explicitly away from a mainstream and are not trying to like hue close to that it's funny how you know comparing the clubs and London RPG community and uh, the indie RPG and uh, Phoenix Games Club Roleplay Heaven and mm. uh, Dragon of the Hill so which is over there that in my experience all the clubs compared to London RPG community and I think it's reflective of the RPG community uh, on its own mm. Older players, older clubs in the UK tend to have more diverse tastes, to be less focused on Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. They, they know RuneQuest, they know Traveller, and as soon as you know there's another, yeah. it's much easier to go to a third, a fourth, a fifth, and to be open and aware of the thing. And I find this is quite a wave. And I don't, it's great to have waves of m- more people, mm. so good for that, but the younger waves is still somewhat at the stage of being very D&D centric. It's really yes. because it's the youngest ones. So London RPG community is very D&D focused, although they are, first of all, no issue with that uh, mm. in itself. And second, there's Jonathan Pay and other awesome people mm. running other games there and uh, not only running them, but being proactive and encouraging people to yes. play them. Yeah. But it's interesting, this wave of Neotrad, OC, Critical Role-inspired mm. gamers coming. And they're very D&D focused compared to older players, at least in the UK. In the US, it's, it's yeah, another deal. Yeah, definitely something I've seen, actually. And like a lot of people have had quite a bit of experience with that. So one of my good friends hosts the London OSR meet, which now is online because everything is. But originally, it would be meeting like fortnightly to play old-school-style games. And often a lot of the people that would come and join because it was just we're here whoever's free will turn up people will say what we can play today and a load of people will have had that as a routine of oh i saw critical role i found some stuff we played it in a group for a bit but definitely it's the seeing that there are more things out there is then knowing that you might then be able to look out and say oh is there i wonder if there's something like this and because there probably is and actually it's quite easy to find them now i think it's quite exciting that you get the opportunity to see what you're looking for if you go looking for it. Yeah, I'm curious to see to what extent, because with the pandemic, mm. it really broadened for me my experience of role-playing even further mm, yeah. because suddenly I was not limited. I could not access my group of friends and for some reason we didn't go to play that much online mm. and I could not access as well the clubs I'm used to interact with mm. but as a result I found other people online and people from all over the place yeah I understand it's you know different personalities being a I don't like the term but extrovert 
so it might be different but I was exposed to a lot of different stuff online when you're curious mm. I mean you got the gauntlet and then you got individuals of course different maybe if you don't have a podcast and that many Twitter followers but mm. how many times I said oh, oh literally I saw a picture by someone of diners I think there was CGI actually in the US and I said oh that makes me want to play an American game yeah. inspired by those pictures and someone a game designer said hey I could run my game with that. <laughs> and I'm playing with this group of charming US citizens and yeah. we're playing this game, which is very... At the end, I thought it would be something much more lighthearted and American uh, sort of thing. And in the end, it turned out to be a very dark American, uh, really mm. shaped by the current events and yeah. the, the, the events which are not exactly over, but, you know, we, we play times. something very, like... Worst case scenario, follow up to MAGA, not post apocalyptic yet, but mm. just before oh, nice. that. Yeah. And with a lot of stuff, very interesting, very interesting to play that with American players. Mm. And at the same time, it's something I would not feel comfortable, not the game, not the players, but the content is it's not something I would be comfortable playing in front of an audience. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but that's what makes it interesting. But uh, coming back to London, I'm wondering. Or many people might have a similar experience of being exposed to more different stuff online mm. and see if they're gonna come back then in the physical clubs and around the table and say, hey, actually, I tried this game based on Osmosis yeah. or I tried this thing because the culture is still very based on scarcity, mm. scarcity of players yeah. to run a game you want to try for. Yes. scarcity of game masters running the game you want to try. Mm. But once you're online and right now everybody's online because that's also the big difference yeah if you're looking for it you can find a lot of games uh, and a lot of things I mean if you go to the gauntlet you can even request games it's, yes it's not working all the time but it's not working quite often first of all they got a lot of games but if you want to try a specific game you can request it there and chances are often game designers are there and they will run their own game yes exactly for you because they want to promote it so I'm curious maybe just not just in London how yeah, there will be the post-COVID mm. situation, but it will broaden the mind of the community. I certainly think it will, because it's something I've noticed, especially between like designer friends of mine, who each of us have kind of got our like our fingers in different pies in different places, and so the conversations we can bring in saying, "Oh, I've seen this thing from this sphere." I don't think for it to influence a community, you need a big number of people. You sort of just need to influence that proactive niche yes. of that community yeah. the drivers yeah and also by being able to like give specific examples and explain what it's like oh it, it's not just oh I heard about this it's like oh I've played this and I only have the chance to play that because of the fact everyone's online now and I think there's there's quite a few lucky things that certain situations and systems had already been established even before the pandemic hit and people had to move online so there were already virtual tabletops that people had been using for a long time so there were already user guides and so it was a lot simpler to onboard people because it wasn't everyone struggling to set something up at the outset it was more oh this tool exists now we can all use it to fit this need that we want and then suddenly you're able to play games in with people entirely different time zones like I was running a game yesterday for um, Tony Vicinda of Plus One EXP and I believe the video should still exist to be watched. I was running Merkborg, like we had players in three different time zones as part of that and it's just something that's you couldn't do that in person and the fact that I could play with somebody who was in Madrid, I could play with somebody who was in Texas all at the same time as also as somebody who was up in the Midlands 
and having all of these things at once is just really quite new and I think there's a lot to be gained from the novelty of what you then can have because of that as a thing. Technically you could do it before mm. but most of us would not have done it because their schedule was already filled with going to the cinema or playing games with yeah. your regular group yeah. or around the table with even with stranger or going to dragon meat mm. or oh yeah i can go to dragon meat but i cannot go to origins i cannot go no. to this or that other convention well actually now you know you can and chances are you don't have the alternative your your comfort zone alternative mm. or just showing up strictly at dragon meat and so on yeah there's definitely but also like it's to use the word accessible in its in its most medical sense as well. Yes, also, like, yeah. So much of how current culture in terms of like how we work and play and spend leisure time has been shifted now and that enough people have got access to things, which means that I'm quite lucky that I'm I'm fairly tall and I've got quite an angry man face. And so I'm happy to walk through crowded convention halls. Oh, that reminds me, I need to take a picture of your angry man face <laughs> for the <laughs> for the cover of yes. the episode. So that means there are certain environments that I feel physically comfortable in that I know a lot of other people won't, whether it's because of their physical ability, whether it's because of um, like their size, whether it's even just because of like their gender. Or even as, well, quote, simple as their geographic location. Like yes. we're talking about metropolitan London and the culture around it if you live somewhere else in the UK or in Europe mm. or in the world yeah. you are not in metropolitan London like my show the release I was discussing that with someone recently is shaped by the fact that a lot of people have been coming mm. to London and I mm. could interview them or there are a lot of people like you like the community we describe yeah. who live in London so I can interview them in person when you check other shows good friends of the RPG Academy who are in Dayton, Ohio. Mm. They cannot interview in person. No. Most TRPG designers. No.
Yeah, is there anything TTRPG related you want to talk about that we did not cover? The scene that's most exciting me at the moment is the FKR scene, which stands for like the Free Kriegspiel Revolution. That sounds very interesting, and you mentioning it is going to make Akadosh very happy. So you got the OSR and you got the FKR. So mm. FK, Free Kriegspiel, mm. is much older than role-playing yes. games themselves. So when I was saying, oh, I don't like the idea that D&D started it all, <laughs> it's just one a turning point yeah. of visibility and structure. But yeah, before we role-played with Dungeons and Dragons, people role-played war. Yeah, so essentially, Kriegspiel was a military training tool like used by Prussian generals, essentially to teach them battle tactics ahead of actually fighting. So how old is that? Do you have an idea? Is that pre-World War I? Or? Yeah, I, I think I imagine it would have been some point in the 1800s that it was like primarily used in that sense. Essentially, the rule books became implausibly large just to account for all of the different situations. And so, I mean, it's it's hard enough to get players who are interested in reading something to read a 30-page rule book, let alone an enormous one, mostly full of technical detail. And we're talking about a Prussian colonel who's, who's got all the business exactly. to, to tend to. Such as it's like, got to drink some port instead. Schnapps, schnapps, I think. Would it, oh, yeah, it would be, yeah. <laughs> it's true. I don't know. If we have former Prussian uh, area people, I'd be very keen to hear yeah, the favourite drink. This is what makes me cancelled, is the assumption that, that everybody must drink port. The whole thought that because that was like unfeasible, they would then just get an older general who had been in more wars to then just oversee and then would like be making like judgments on the fly. And so it almost like kind of harkens back to that idea of the referee is the person who is our, like being the arbiter of like the reality and the truth in the situation. And so, in a way, it's almost more like, well, the GM gets to decide what the outcomes of the games are. And typically, there's a lot of shared understanding of what the consequences are likely to be. Um, and also, like, an inbuilt trust that we're all constructing the same sort of reality. Sometimes with a like an additional relatively simple bit of mechanic to arbitrate things in the case of randomness but when you're not then having to have a specific set of rules to play a game any book you've ever read any film you've ever seen you can then play explicitly play in that world because so long as someone thinks about what is likely to be the outcome of different situations you can then basically process that and so at a few conventions recently i've been running like a 14th century poem that geoffrey chaucer owned a copy of and like using that as the setting for the game in which I'm wow. running. And no one's written a, like a rule book for how to do that. But you don't need to. And so there's a lot in the sphere which is quite interesting in terms of how people are thinking about games, discussing how people approach them. And also for a design scene where the system is probably the least important thing, there's also an enormous amount of systems that people are producing to do. Here's a different way in which we could be really simplistic. And so there's a lot of experimentation and cross-pollination between ideas. Because, yeah, we, we were talking about free Kriegspiel, which is the old thing, but right now there's the R now. Yeah. There's a renaissance of that. Yeah, and actually, like, well, this year was the 50th anniversary of the first D&D game, essentially. Oh, cute! <laughs> yeah. We've been doing that since the 18th exactly. century. Here, have some schnapps or pot. Yes. So Dave Arneson, who is the not Gary Gygax, but the, other, the, the two of them kind of like produced the original D&D. His style of playing was very much more conversational and often things would be decided on a relatively in-the-moment ruling rather than 
this is a long list of different lengths of pole arms. And so within the last few years, there's been a bit of a motion of looking back to that style of approaching things. And this is kind of how it's coalescing at the moment. But it's it's exciting because it feels like it feels like a new and interesting design space. But not the design content is new, but more because of its relative novelty, the way in which designers are accessing it and conversing with each other is really fascinating. And I think that's been supercharged by the fact that we don't all have to sit in the same room. And there are people from all across various time zones that are all involved in these same conversations. So does FKR as a somewhat Germanic geographical, mm. you know, not center, but, you know, where the, the pebble was thrown yeah. in the pond and then you got those waves like Nordic Lamp and so mm. on. Where did it originate from that Renaissance? I don't know. And it's really hard to pin down at the start of it. Mm. And I think a lot of it, because it's it sort of comes about through conversations that are taking place in liminal spaces that aren't going to be permanent. So That's kind of the problem with stuff like Discord. You don't have an yeah. archive like Tumblr or yeah. sort of things. Or even with um, like so much stuff, like the post-forward second like indie game explosion pretty much happened because of how G Plus existed. But of course, all of that stuff's gone now. And so... I think because things are coming about over like conversational spaces rather than like easily archivable spaces. Or blog posts which are yeah. structured and so on. But often like most of the blog posts are like, well, these conversations have been happening over the last few months and this is an essential overview of what it is enough so I can also explain what it is that I'm interested in doing. And so it's basically don't know what the immediate provenance is at this point here. I don't know where who it is that started it up and opened it up again. But it's, I think certainly that because a lot of designers who I admire are also like, this also, this area looks really interesting. It's just, I don't know what's going on fully. I'm happy to be involved in it because it's just, it isn't a newness, but in the same way of like, like within the surrealist art movement, for instance, everyone was looking at what everyone else was doing and being like, oh, why are you, why are you doing that? You're going to do it this way. And being part of something that is both like present and ephemeral is really quite pleasant in that way. I think it also that another misconception about history, uh, yeah, well, we did not record it that but we had a conversation about history mm. before we started but yeah I think it's a very specific way of seeing things you always think oh this guy invented this, uh, yes. the Gutenberg yeah. invented the print and if you go in time and kill Gutenberg we don't have the print and you're like well the print was already there in China, but also actually Gutenberg had competitors in the same city trying mm. to do the same thing as he did and be the first because there was a demand for it. Yep. And we know because there's been copyright infringement trials <laughs> which are documented. So if you kill Gutenberg, it's just Schmidt <laughs> who does it yes. instead <laughs> two weeks later so you don't change anything. So FK might have been around and mm. it's just it coalesced at some point because that's the right time and yeah. the community is welcoming for yeah, that. It's, like, so, it's the conversations that are taking place rather than rather than someone said a thing and we're all reacting yeah, to that thing. Rather yeah. than Gary Gigax did it. Stan Lee did it. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Which I think is quite quite interesting and fascinating from that point. But the real problem then, as soon as you've got a standard set of rule sets where you can play any world, is you then go damn that now there are all of these additional worlds that i want to play stories in and i just don't have the time <laughs> which is a, a sad fact 
So playing in any world, I think it's a good segue into our final question. What are you reading? What are you gonna read? So first, what are you reading? So what I'm most reading at the moment is um, essentially like reflective conversation pieces from comedians. There's a podcast called The Comedian's Comedian that's hosted by Stuart Goldsmith that's running to about maybe over like 300 odd episodes now. And it is often just long form conversations between comics talking about their creative process, talking about how they're explicitly working through both like internal stresses and like external stresses either with audience or with like the wider sphere. And it's really interesting to be hearing a lot of similar conversations from other people who are in aligned fields. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Because there's like a lot of, like I know a number of comedians just because of like the cabaret scene and how it aligns to like near to stage magic. But I've never directly done it. And so it's quite interesting to hear this different, similar group of people talk about something that I can then steal ideas and apply myself. I'm soon going to read. Um, oh, it's my turn. <laughs> I oh, got the, oh, I of got course. My... Yeah, I'm, r- I'm rushing ahead. I just finished Invincible, mm. animated show on Prime Video. I really recommend. I mean, oh, yet another thing with superheroes. I mean, if you like Masks and New Generation, this show is for you. Mm. Except, content warning, three not for children. It's very violent and graphic. It's grim, but it's not dark. Mm. Which I saw other people say that it is what DC is trying or should be trying to do. Yeah. So it's high color in terms of animation. It's very close to your Superman or Justice League animated show. Mm. So it's uh, really your primary colors and so on. But it, it's very violent. You're going to see bits of brains and a lot of gory scenes mm. happening suddenly. The action is quite interesting and there's a lot of things like... It's taking stuffing like the final scene of Man of Steel mm. to its actual conclusion which is oh, wow. a lot of innocent eye dying yeah. as collateral damages and it's quite interesting for that I find my criticisms we were speaking about Dragon Ball Z and animation mm. it's interesting to see how western led because I'm never sure where the actual animators are mm. but western led animation doesn't have this legacy and culture of depicting movements as well as Japanimation. Yes. So they, they, yeah. you see them reaching out for some type of very well depicted fights. Mm. It's not... Yeah, it's borderline jarring yeah. to mm. see how or far they are from the technique yeah. and experience you see with something like One Punch Man or any Japanimation mm. thing you see despite the budget and so on. There's a scene with birds falling from the sky. Your classic all the birds are dead and they start falling yep. from the sky. It's okay with the storytelling, but the birds are really look like a still frame falling vertically. <laughs> and yeah. you compare that with a Kenshin or a lot or Attack on Titan and so on. And it's, it's really not as well animated. <laughs> the other thing I'm finish, we're not finishing in the middle of is Shits Creek, mm. Uh, mm. which is distracting. I enjoy it. I find there are a bit of problems with it in terms of, yeah, again, the self-made person myth, yeah. kind of starting with that. But I really, really like how the show is. It's a bit like something, the discussion we have about the Tobles of Warping Game, about representation. Mm. Or about we just tell a story in which queer people are there and yeah. it's not a subject of... It's not about that. It just yeah, it is, and no character whatsoever is like, oh, but you're in a redneck town. People should yes. should react negatively <laughs> for that because it's realistic and so on. And there's so much stuff 
unrealistic mm. that we set aside when we storytell. I think, yeah. Yeah. In terms of design of storytelling, it's as much as about what you put aside from the story you tell us you're in- including. Mm. And it's refreshing to see a story in which that aspect is not an aspect important. You can, yes. you can see yeah. so In a way, I was talking about Star Trek. I was thinking the other day that Shit's Creek, by doing that, in a way, is more utopian mm. and forward thinking than a lot of recent Star Trek things are. Oh, people of color or queer people. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's not even question it because the society we want and hope for mm. is this one. And hopefully there are contexts where it's already the case. Yeah, yeah. The story must be about this. This is what's expected. Therefore, we have to do it this way. Yeah, so it's refreshing for that. What is your? What are you gonna read? So, the the next thing on my to read pile is Simone de Beauvoir's The Second Sex, which I've read in part, but I've never read in entirety, and I've picked it up in the original French. Oh wow! So I'm basically trying to bring my vocabulary up to standard by having a read into that, and even I mean it's a hundred year old book essentially now, well, not quite, but it's really fascinating to see how current conversations around people's existence within society and like how people place themselves yeah. as a sociological thing is already it just consistently echoes the same sort of conversations that have been taking place for a while and i think it's now that i'm no longer teaching i stopped teaching last year moved into essentially copywriting full time because i no longer have to hit this is what the mark scheme expects you to cover and I can actually go, okay, now the academic reading I want to do can be entirely based on what I'm interested in and I can do it at my own pace. And so I'm quite excited to get into that. I was not that exposed to the work of Simone de Beauvoir, despite French being my first language. She's sadly not exactly... Uh, she was awarded <laughs> a number of things, but she's not really in the curriculum as mm. much as she should be. But I remember just seeing some text from her about toxic masculinity mm. and the place of men in society and I thought it was really fascinating to see someone discuss how you know what we describe as the patriarchal society men on top mm. actually was not a cool experience for young boys either yeah. Uh, yeah a lot of things were forced upon them and a lot of expectation and things which were quite traumatic and mm. I, I thought it was wow that's very refreshing and it's very a pity that this is not showcase more to see i mean i simplified but it was like yeah feminism it's it's not just for for women <laughs> yeah and also it's it's not a, a shift that's recently happened where it's only been within the last 20 years where people are like no the patriarch hates man yeah it's everyone it's... it has said like <laughs> those conversations have been happening for a long time no I, I do think it's it's interesting to see it phrased so succinctly and also quite elegantly i think yes yeah, very elegant writer phenomenally so yeah i should write more read more of that more philosophy and this sort mm. of things i guess i'm gonna pick i'm gonna try to, to sound much smarter than i am <laughs> much more lecture <laughs> but uh in link to a, a current project i have for a um or a game set in a monastic setting. Mm. I think I might want to go back just to a chapter in a book called L'Etonnement Philosophique. Mm. By, I think the author is called Jeanne Hersch. And it's kind of a... I just have the pocket book and it was handed to me. It was, air quote, forced reading by a French <laughs> teacher. So French teacher, as for most of the listeners, your English teacher. But someone yep. was teaching me a foreign language, but teaching <laughs> you literature. Yeah, yeah, and he was adding extracurricular stuff in his 
curriculum, mm. uh, including philosophy, which is not part of the curriculum in Belgium. Mm. And this book has got chapters which are dedicated to big steps in philosophy. You're going to have a, a bit of Kierkegaard, a bit of Plato, mm. a bit of everyone, really. Yeah. And a bit which really surprisingly impacted me personally was one from, I'm not sure his name in English, Thomas Daquin, Thomas of Aquinas, something like oh, that. Oh, yes, yeah. And I was really surprised by the ideas of this guy and his description of his relationship to God, the mm. concept of God, what is God. And long story short, at least that's my personal interpretation why God is not intervening mm. uh, in all things. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it would be interesting to go back to that as part of my project. And yeah, long story short, it was. I'm mixing up things, but God is perfect, so God is one. Mm. But if God starts to intervene in things, actually God, because he's perfect, or they are perfect, if they start intervening in things and they are perfect, they're making the other stuff perfect, but then free will does not exist anymore. Yeah. So our goal is sort of become, as individuals or societies, to become perfect and become like God anymore. Mm. But because God is perfect and giving us free will, is actually not doing stuff. Yeah. So he won't answer our prayers. We can try to be close to that thing, but... If it tries to touch us, it's actually destroying us. Yeah. Uh, again, I'm confusing a lot of different other stuff, but yeah, I'd really like to go back to this original, not text by him, but summary made by <laughs> John Ash, which yes. is much more digestible and uh, quite, uh, quite a good reading. You know, medieval Christendom philosophers, they are interesting stuff. Mm, there. there are yeah. things which are very surprising, and it's really not what the church with the big C or the papacy yes. is promoting around. Very uh, much so. I mean, Franciscan stuff and all of that. And uh, yeah, we, we recorded a film studies about the name of the rose. Mm. You know, small branches which were labeled as heretic and others mm. which managed to say, okay, we're Franciscans. Okay, you got a choice. You're going to be an heretic <laughs> now. Or you're going to negate a part of your ideas like that we should be poor. And say, okay, <laughs> okay, we're gonna fold this one. Yep. We're not gonna call the church bluff. And then you see others which are like, I don't know, for other reasons, like the Qatar. And so we say, well, yeah, we're calling your bluff. Well, yeah. well, yeah. <laughs> In either case, turns out those people are not teached about <laughs> as exactly. much as I all those things. It's that whole, I think the problem with so much of teaching in general is an assumption that if we must know things, we've got to know it succinctly. But you often then lose a lot of space for this is not the answer. This is a way to think about this concept. Yeah, it's a starting point for you to find out more about yeah. which, again, we didn't have the conversation about history until the rope in which mm. you should be less stressed about verisimilitude and accuracy to mm. something to which you cannot actually be accurate because yeah. it's impossible for a number of things, but it's about treating tabletop experiences in history which ignites that curiosity towards yes. you're finding out more and raise questions. Yeah, very much so. Definitely. Okay, on that very smart and uh, high-level <laughs> word, I think uh, that's it. Sean, where can people find you when you wish to be found? So, in most places, I'm Sean F. Smith. That's Sean, spelt like Sean Bean. And 
in some cases there are a number of extra underscores in there uh, so i think on instagram i'm sure on double underscore f double underscore smith but try in any version of that and you're likely to find me i will include links to all of that in the description Fantastic. of the episode to the itch.io store and so on amazing stuff and uh, to my own stuff also like paris gondo the life-saving magic of inventoring my first game which a graphic designer francis asoto is working on at the moment but you not only you can already buy the text on the edition, which got it's the final text. It's been edited by Chris S. Sims, mm. a veteran from PHB D&D 3.5, 4, 5, Acquisition Incorporated. The text is finalized, pretty much. 99.9, I just want to rewrite the table there. Mm. But it's there for you, and not only if you buy it now, this text on the edition, the cost of it will be deducted to your purchase of the new edition if you want it. So really, don't do not wait. Go there and you're making things happen much faster. What's what's the game you're selling at the moment? Uh, the most? So my my newest game, or at least the one that I'm newly most excited about, is a game called Tunnel Puffins, which is based on Nate Dream's Tunnel Goons. From the summary, I could not tell what it was about, actually. It's called Tunnel Puffins because of Tunnel Goons, so the same tunnel, and then Puffins because the fighting fantasy books were released under the Penguin imprint called Puffin which was the one for children. Um, so, so is that it's, based on the cartoon Puffin Island? No, although you I don't may play expand into that. I think Jane Armiston will be disappointed to find out that you don't play actual Puffins. Yes, this is true. But I can't control how people play it at the de- their table, so perhaps that's what will end up being played more often. Amazing. Well, people, please go check it out. Again, it will link will be linked in the description of the episode on our brand new website, which you should check Thanks for listening to this episode. See you soon. And in the meantime, <laughs> have good games. This episode included Giant Insect from Mars by The Chambers, Recipes to Peace by Ultimate Fantastic, The Community by The Gaze, Waltz Walk Win by Six Star General, and of course, Solta of Frango or Team Song by Bandedo Roll. You can find all these songs for free at the freemusicarchive.org. And uh, yeah, several of those songs this month I already played on the show, but I don't know. First of all, they're very good songs, and I highly encourage you to go download those songs for free again on the Free Music Archive and support the musicians who composed them and made them available for us all. Uh, and then, yeah, they're very good and they, t- they were appropriate and, and I'm exhausted. So, <laughs> um, the logo of the Rollis podcast is designed by Rollin Kearns and you can find it alongside more art by Rollin Kearns inspired by the Rollis podcast, as well as a couple of visuals that I made myself on our T public store linked in the description of this episode. So that closes our interview with Sean F. Smith. I'm happy that I recorded enough for two months because, again, it, with COVID, it's complicated to have people to meet in person. But thankfully, I have booked another interview with another person. It should be at the same exact spot as uh, when I interview uh, Sean. So I look forward to that. Got good coffee good croissant and across the street there's a very interesting ice cream maker 
beyond that, as I was saying, I'm uh, I'm exhausted by the everlasting character of the situation, the job hunting, and so on. I uh, got some opportunities. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, it's been a couple of weird weeks for me also. Persephilia travel abroad with our son to visit the family there. And then, and then my mother came here, and uh, yeah, the the week when I was alone here wasn't exactly restful for me. Uh, it was I tried to make the most of it, but it's part of the reason why it was still exhausting because I I felt like I had to do something, I had to be uh, quote productive. Uh, so I still came out of it uh, quite um, out of place. However, I did make, I guess, something out of it because now, thanks to the multiple streams I've run along this week and the support of some really awesome individuals, no, I'm going to name a few, but uh, there's, there are more of them which are, I'm not mentioning. I mean, we got the regulars, Akadosh, July, and Carlos, who followed me on Twitch, but also a couple people who have their own Twitch channels. So I recommend you go support them. King of Demons, Furious 320, and the Mother, uh, who is a tabletop RPG club founder in the Philippines. So uh, go check the Mother. And but yeah, thanks to uh, my streams and all of those fine folk who watch those streams, I am now an affiliate on Twitch. So it was kind of a little goal I set myself. What it means in practice that you can subscribe to my channel. You can even do so for free if you have a Prime account. It's included the sub- your subscription to one Twitch account. So if you have a Prime account, even if you don't watch Twitch, consider going to my channel and subscribe. It won't cost you a thing. It will support me a bit. It adds a couple other things at my channel. I'm not sure I will do that much with it, to be honest, because I don't have the fiber broadband connectivity which would allow me to do much more and also my time availabilities with the family uh you know that when i'm available is during the day and during the day is when no one is watching twitch so there's no huge point but regardless i'm not only continuing to stream record live and stream my interviews for cafe rollist so you can find more of these over there and could watch them live if you follow the channel but i also started experimenting with other stuff, I'm playing video games, not much, but uh, I beat one of the games from my childhood, it's called The Maze of Gallius, Nightmare 2, which used to be a game on the MSX by Konami. I started Knights of the Old Republic, which I never played. I also did something else which seems to be uh, somewhat popular, had interesting feedback about, is that I'm streaming myself as I'm reading for the first time some rule books, uh, usually quick start books. So like I did the primer for Tales of Xadia, I did the quick start rules for Arctic to do to D20. You know, both these things are compact in format, so it's nice and sweet for me to read over an hour stream. I also did Sonia and Conan versus the Ninjas, and I did the character creation of Vason Nordic Horror role-playing by the Free League, and uh, I probably gonna do more of that because i I realized it was quite nice actually when i was trying to learn and read a book which is something i'm not good at to have uh, people to engage with 
via the chat room and uh yeah so it sort of helps and uh yeah i had a couple of people who who thought it was interesting and that encouraged them to purchase some games so especially sonya and conan versus ninjas which is really heartwarming to hear so i'm probably going to do more of that uh, so yeah go subscribe go follow the channel of the released on twitch so it's twitch.tv slash rollistpod so the same as the website rollistpod.com so that's r-o-l-i-s-t-e-s-p-o-d if you click the description of the episode it should take you to our website and you got big buttons there to find our youtube channel where i try to repost what i do on twitch but again my internet connections make it so that it takes half a day to do uh, so it's a slow process yeah my problem is that i'm spread thin between platforms and just uploading and filling stuff and adding the details is just exhausting uh, it's it's a lot of work so so yeah uh go purchase my game paris gondo life-saving magic of inventoring which i mentioned consider <laughs> trying Gusto, if you're in the UK, using the promo code in the description of this episode, you will get me a free meal uh, to me and Persephilia. So uh, that would be much, much appreciated in those uh, difficult times. And yeah, uh, Twitch, uh, again, if at some point I reach as many as 20 people in the chat room during a stream, I will play you some ukulele because I've been learning the ukulele for a year now. I'm not good at it. I'm not an actual performer. But for the the joke of it, and uh, as a little goal, if we end up with 90 people in the chat room, I will play you some ukulele. Maybe some Amélie Poulain, Amélie, you know, the French movie. So I will play some ukulele, Pauli. Feel free to come make this happen. Thank you so much. See you next month for our surprise guest. And uh, yeah, in the meantime... Uh, Stay safe, take good care of yourself and the people you love. And uh, yeah, in the meantime, uh, have good games. Nós é tipo bem Jesus, todo mundo a gente ama Ainda mais se for gatinha, rola até levar pra cama A gente topa tudo, sapatão e bigodudo Na hora do piriri, cai em mim outra vesti Vai batuque! Rolê, rolê, rolê Solta o frango e vem com a gente Rolê, rolê Are you the Judean People's Front? F*** off! What? Judean People's Front! Well, the People's Front of Judea! Judean People's Front! <laughs> Wankers! Can I join your group? Nah, piss off! <laughs>